so nutritionally, we, if you want to feed them up or increase their food, it may be a slow process depending on how, uh, how willing they are to accept that. And I'll tell you, some of these people that are, have really chronic issues that developed over a really long period of time, it takes a long time to fix um, because we have to fix it. We have to get them to accept it. And we also have to maintain it. Mm. Right. So you don't take, you don't take 10 years of uh, metabolic and hormonal adaption and fix them in a few months. And most of the people that have these issues, they're having a hard time losing weight anyhow, because, because their body is basically shutting down. Right. So they come to me and they're like, Hey, I think I, I think my metabolism is broken, but I want to lose weight. Can we fix this so I can lose weight in two months? I'm like, no, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Hey, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you to go to buyjack.com slash CEP to pick up all of your CEP network gear, including the new hoodies and coffee mugs representing all three of the shows on our network, which does include Crush Your Cast, Raised on the Radio, and of course, the CEP. Also, head on over to truenutrition.com for all of your nutrition and supplement needs. And when you check out, be sure to use the code CEPN for a 5% discount on your total order. Now for this episode, Colt and I begin our three-part series titled Adaptions Associated with Physique Enhancement with Austin Stout. Austin is a bodybuilder, strength coach, and a wealth of information, as you will quickly discover when you listen to this series. During this first episode, we dive deep into hormonal adaptions, primarily regarding women's physique, and we learn how things like stress and other factors play such an integral role in shaping a person's overall physical health. Get ready for a deep dive into this one, which shall have your brains warm just like we like it. So without further introduction, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Colt. Absolutely. And with us on the line today, we have Mr. Austin Stout. How you doing today, Austin? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. going to kick off this, uh, this series with this first episode here, but it's been a while since you've been on the show. You are a repeat guest for us. Um, but to refresh everyone, all of our listeners, remind us who you are, what you do, and uh, yeah, just take off, man. Let's hear it. Okay, cool. So I am a, I wouldn't consider myself a meathead by heart. I am a bod- competitive bodybuilder, but I kind of uh, fell into that by default because I, I wanted a competitive outlet after, you know, playing sports and things. I was a wrestler for years. Uh, most of the nutrition advice I really found for wrestling seemed to come from bodybuilders. I was like, well, these guys kind of know, these guys know something obviously. So, um, it got me interested in that started training, uh, started competing pretty young age teen, you know, teen class. Um, I was 18, I think my first competition, um, just turned 30 a few months ago. So got a few years of competing in there. Um, and then, Like a lot of people, I started in the personal training space, you know, one-on-one type stuff while I was in school. Um, originally, was gonna, I was in the medical field. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But the more I did the training and the more I started to help people, the more I kind of gravitated towards that rather than like 
you know, like physical therapy or nursing or, or something like that, or, or doctor. Um, and at the time there wasn't really like now there's, you know, 10 million coaches at the time there wasn't. So, you know, I didn't know that that was really a viable career that anyone could actually make money at. And, but it eventually kind of evolved into that. And, uh, I ended up in that space and I've been, I've literally been self-employed my entire adult life, pretty much, um, and doing this. And then it's slowly expanded into a lot of, I, I wouldn't say that my, my coaching's expanded so much as the field itself has expanded. People are, are learning a lot more and understand like our topic today, for example, like they're understanding that it's more than just, you know, what we're eating, right? It's more than just how we train. It's more, it's going to be a lot more than that. And I think to be a coach that's competitive in this space that you need to know these things, at least like on a basic level, you know, because we're dealing with people's health, right? Um, and our topic today, especially is now what we're seeing is, you know, maybe 10 years ago, there was this influx of female competitors because they, they started, they started the bikini division. Right. And I was like, Oh, everyone can compete now. Right. Cause we've got, we've got all these divisions. And at the time, bikini was way more scaled down than it is now. Now it's, you know, now these girls get really, really lean. So what we're really seeing now is a ton of trickle down from all these people that were basically abused their body for years, you know, and now we're like, uh Oh, we've got all these problems. And then we've also have all these other people that are taking advice from these people years ago that are just gen pop, you know, just people that just want to lose weight and this and that. And we just have ended up with this like huge amount of hormonal dysfunction and various other issues that we're basically stuck with now. Um, and I'm sure it's just basically because people come to me for these things, but I would say seven out of 10 people, especially women that I get have an issue like right off the bat, whether they even know about it or not. And like I said, it's probably exaggerated for me because I think that I, those people kind of like gravitate towards me a little bit more, but still, I mean, that's like a pretty, that's a pretty, pretty big number, you know? Right, yeah. Um, so, and there's way more than that walking around with various different issues. It's just, and you, and we'll, we'll talk about this more is that we're basically not, they're not seeing them until they have some huge scale problem that's causing all kinds of symptoms. And, you know, and now it's not like one isolated problem. They have 10 different issues that are all compounded together. And then they're, like now, what do I do? So hopefully by listening to this stuff, I uh, listen to me talk and, and some other people in this space that people can catch these things earlier, you know? Right. Before we, before we dive in over this past year, I don't think we've really talked to you during the pandemic and stuff like that. How has that affected your coaching? Has that affected, I know it doesn't affect <laughs> you personally because you lift in a, in a barn, you've got like the perfect setup for that anybody would want. But as far as like, right. uh, you know, people you coach and things like that, going to the gym or, you know, all that kind of stuff, has that been affected? Um, so maybe the first, first month there was, I had a few couple people drop off just because they literally lost all their income, right? Like right. right off the, the quarantine, the first, the first like initial lockdown and things. 
beyond that, no, business has, I mean, from financially and just like size wise, it's, you know, continued to expand at a pretty regular rate over that it would like the previous year and the year before that. Uh, but there, there's some differences for sure, figuring out how to make, you know, how to program things because people are not training in gyms as often. And then also stress, more stress for people, I think, just because there's like so many changes in environment, not only that, but all the un, like uncertainties, you know, nobody, none of us like uncertainties, nobody, you know, everyone wants to kind of know what's going on. And right. there was just so much of that this year, uh, especially and it, on a lot of scales, competitions, right. For my competitive clients, like, well, you know, where do I compete? Should I even bother? And then, you know, the other people being discouraged because they prepped for a show and then there was no show. And then it's like keeping them on track and not just doing like, Oh, screw it. I'm going to go do whatever type of attitude. Uh, but man, there's just a lot of, and even things you wouldn't even think of. Like I have moms that are so stressed because they can't stand to stay home with their kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And that's created, and that seems silly, but that's created other issues that weren't there before. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, there are definitely differences, but I, I always look at it as just ways to kind of learn and add some tools to the toolbox, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I was kind of hoping you were going to talk about stress because I'm sure that's going to be part of what we're going to dive into today. I'm sure that's part of, as far as the female hormones go and stuff like that, I'm sure stress has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> you guys want to, you guys want to jump into this? Cause I'm going to, if you have anything else, let me know. <laughs> About to go deep here, huh? About to go deep. Let's do it. Yeah. Th- let me just mention that the topic for today is uh, female hormones in relation to physique development, right? So uh, we're basically getting, I, I would imagine a lot of your perspective as a, as a coach, as a trainer um, on the problems you've seen and the basics, the, the, uh, the physics of, of what's going on, the biology of what's going on for females who are developing their physiques. And so just to catch everybody up on, on what the topic is for today. And yeah, we're curious to, to do this deep dive, man. So uh, let's, let's do it. What do you, where do we start? Where do we start? Okay. So uh, your most most commonly the issues that we're going to be talking about would arise from people. It's not, it's not just people trying to lose weight. It's these could be anyone that's anyone that's basically putting, we'll put it this way. The the example that I use a lot, anyone that's listening to this, that's watched me talk. I I like to use this kind of uh, like a pie chart example. So we have this pie chart and we can fill up hundred percent of the pie chart. Like that's our resources to allocate towards stress, right? Training, life, emotional relationship, whatever, right? Well, if we spill over on the pie chart, then we're going to have issues, right? We've got to, our body has to do something with that. So we are well-equipped, our bodies, males and females are well-equipped to handle stress, right? We have mechanisms in place that can counteract these things. It's just when we have too much, obviously there's going to be some ramification of that and it will start, it will start interrupting certain processes. And if it's too chronic, then it won't just be in one system. It'll branch out into another system, you know, so we have multiple issues going on. So yeah, you mentioned stress, everything, everything that we're going to talk about, it's all stress related. I mean, there's a stress component to all of it. 
And there are other components, genetics, right? I mean, some people are going to be predisposed to others. I mean, I've had clients that can just like take abuse like no other and they, you know, their nervous system's fine. They recover good. They, their blood works good. They never have any hormonal issues. They sleep well. It's like they're just, they're anomalies, right? But the vast majority of us aren't like that. There's eventually we're going to get to a point where it's too much and some systems are going to break down. So it's, uh, it, it goes without saying that any, any of these issues, you can't really fix them if, if your body's too, you know, too stressed or you have high stress. Right. Uh, so we can kind of talk about what that is first, because, and I know we have another topic that we're going to talk about on another one. So we won't go too far into like the psych field, but, um, biggest thing is just understanding like what, what is stress? Where does it come from? And it's not just because people think of stress as just things they can see. Uh, you know, I, my coworker, you know, was a jerk at work and I was like pissed off all day. Like that's stress, right? That's an obvious one or my boss or whatever. That's a real easy one. But a lot of the ones that we miss are the little things all day. Like we sit in traffic both ways on the way to work. There's stress every single day over and over. You miss one to two hours of sleep every day. There's a stress. That's all, And that's happening all the time. You see what I mean? So these are a lot of the stresses that we really struggle with are the, the ones that aren't as noticeable, but they're chronic. They happen constantly. You know what I mean? Like they're always there. Or, you know, you have like that low grade anxiety all the time. You're always worried about something. You're, you know, what, no matter what it is. Um, and this year, especially with with COVID and everything, like that's a lot of people. So, you know, so yeah, those are the kinds of stresses that really kind of accumulate. And a lot of the times when I deal with these, you know, these, these women that have these issues, they have no clue how stressed out they are until I start pointing things out and asking questions. They're like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> maybe I am really stressed out all the time. And you'd be shocked what just eliminating and it can be other, it can be little things we can eliminate from their day. Cause we can't, we can't eliminate all stress. We've got to work. We've got to do, you know, we got to pay bills. We got to do all that stuff. That's not like, I think the idea of eliminating stress is really flawed because I mean, like, how do we really do that? We, we can't remove things from our life to any major extent. So we just have to, you know, we have to react to things better and also kind of pick and choose our battles and not stress over things that are just insignificant. I mean, it could be anything like every, these people that they, they get on the scale every single morning and they're pissed off at the scale. Like their whole day is like set right there. You know what I mean? Like at least the first four hours of their day, they're like in a bad mood, you know? So that's, it's like stuff like that we can eliminate and they're shocked how much different they feel and how much better their blood work looks and like, you know, and all these other things, how much better their digestion is and all this. So um, and we can, like I said, we can talk about that stuff more later, but that's where a lot of these problems start. Okay. And I think those things are common for all of us, but now we have this population that is also training in the gym really hard. Right. And we have this population that is a lot of the time trying to um, lose weight, lose body fat. Right. So now we have some really large additional stressors. So a lot of these people that are stressed, ironically, 
the gym is their outlet. So they go in and they train really hard. Awesome. Except that it stresses your body out more. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're getting these, you know, you guys, you know, you, you know how it is. Like you get the endorphin release, like you get some, you do have some positives, you know, your dopamine goes up, like you, your adrenaline goes up. So though you are getting that benefit short term, but really what you're doing in the long run is if you're, you know, if you're training all, you know, consistently, which these people are, is you're just driving up stress even higher. And then they go and they jump on the treadmill for however long. And we're just like, they're just, we're just piling it on. You know what I mean? We're just piling it on. And then if you're trying to lose fat in the process of bought, you know, a process that's already biologically, not what a woman's body wants to do. Right. It's some functions start shutting down. I mean, it's it, not a male body doesn't even want to do it. Like, you know, in a male, our testosterone levels go down. We, we have side effects from this and a female, it's even more complex because we have, you know, they have a menstrual cycle and they have, you know, other processes that can, can start to basically stop or be dysfunctional in some way. So that's kind of how we end up where we are. And there's a million and one scenarios of how they end up uh, with hormonal dysfunction. I mean, it could be, it can be anything. Sometimes it's one show. I, I, sometimes it's like, they just literally have this one horrendous contest prep experience where they, you know, it, they're in a calorie deficit for almost a year and they basically starve the whole time and they do hours and hours of cardio every day, and you know, whatever. And they have, and they also have high life stress at the same time, like we were talking about. And it can also be cumulative over the years. Like I've dealt with uh, cases where they've done multiple shows or, and they were like athletes in high school and college. And they, so they've always pushed the body, you know what I mean? They, they their body's never gotten a break for, whatever, 10 years, right? right. Plus. Um, so, it, and everyone's resilience is a little bit different. So it's, it, again, it kind of just, uh, it kind of just depends, but that's, um, that's where, that's how we end up in a bad position to begin with. If that makes sense. Yeah. When you say hormonal dysfunction though, explain that a little bit, unpack that if you will, what exactly, what kind of dysfunctions yeah. are we working with? Okay. So, most common things that we're going to see in women would pertain to their menstrual cycles and the fact that we have, so in a, in a female menstrual cycle, their hormones do vary throughout the month, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So they will basically have phases during the cycle where we ultimately end up menstruating. Okay. There's periods where estrogen goes higher. There's periods where progesterone goes higher. Okay. Now what we mostly see in women I, I'm going to say mostly because this is what's most common is we see their progesterone is supposed to spike previous or prior to the period. And we see that part of the process affected mostly. And the reason for that is something called cortisol steel or progesterone steel, or the, there's a lot of names for it. But what really happens is I can kind of illustrate this for you is we have, well, first off, cortisol comes from the adrenal glands. We've, most people have heard of the adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. So in women, two primary places where we have hormonal uh, like distribution or, or production throughout the body is ovaries and adrenal glands. So we have basically this pathway in the adrenal glands where we start at the top with a hormone called pregnenolone. This is kind of 
this one converts into two different pathways. So on one side, we have progesterone. It comes down to progesterone on this side. On this side, it comes down to androgens. So our androgen side would be DHEA. And then DHEA is also testosterone and estrogen. Okay. So in a male, you got to think most of a male's estrogen comes from their testosterone converts to estrogen. That's how we get most of our estrogen. And a female, they actually are directly, they do aromatize some, but they're directly producing estrogen also. Okay. So that's why a female has, you know, a lot higher estrogen level, right? Um, so what happens in this process is on this progesterone side, you also have cortisol because cortisol is also coming from the adrenals. So what happens when we have too much stress is the body will actually skip progesterone and go straight to cortisol. Okay. Okay. So that's why it's called cortisol steel or progesterone steel is we basically, your body is preferring to shift towards cortisol production because without cortisol, we die. Okay. So, and your body doesn't know, you know, because if you look at, you know, we want to go like evolutionary, right. You can think of like when we had to, you know, hunters and gatherers, we had to run from animals and, you know, stuff like that. Right. So we have this cortisol as the stress response hormone in there for those types of purposes. Cortisol was really never meant to deal with us sitting in traffic right. or whatever. That's not, that wasn't <laughs> the point. Right. So, you know, and it also wasn't for weight training. So cortisol does have a lot of beneficial, you know, it, it does have benefits and we need cortisol to weight train and cortisol is what gets us up in the morning. That's what, you know, wakes us up in the morning along with adrenaline and things. So um, when we skip this progesterone production, we go to, we end up basically just, you know, going all to cortisol, progesterone obviously drops because we're not, you know, we're not producing it. And that's where, that's where your primary issue comes in the menstrual cycle. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because without that progesterone, we cannot have that period. Most of these women do not ovulate, right? So they're not, so like we got a fertility issue for a lot of them, right? One of the ways that we can actually see that, we can do blood work, obviously, but one thing that actually happens in a lot of these women, and I use this sometimes, is basal body temperature because your body temperature will change around ovulation. So a real simple thing is like, and they'll use this in fertility practices too. They'll have them check their temperatures every day and they look for this rise in temperature around ovulation. Well, these women don't have this. Like they won't, you know, they won't ovulate. Their progesterone does not go up. They normally don't have periods or they have like irregular, you know, irregular periods. Um, an irregular period could be a million different things. It could be too long, too short. Uh, it could be two months. It could be six months in between, you know, whatever. I mean, I deal with, I deal with girls that haven't had periods in like five years. Right. Holy cow. You know? And these, and these are not girls on birth control because birth control would ob can obviously stop it. But these are girls that literally just haven't had periods in years. And they're like, well, I just, no, I just don't have a period. I'm like, well, you know, there's a reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't just accept that. Let's figure out what's wrong. <laughs> so, does that make sense so far? Like mm -hmm. how this, this kind of starts out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I think of physique, of course, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the women are looking for loss of, of body fat. They're looking to probably develop a, a leaner body, more muscle. Um, so right. with all the dysregulation you just talked about, what, what are we looking at? How does it affect the actual physique at this point? 
because I have a feeling that it's going to be, uh, there's going to be some negative effects for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. There can be a lot. It just depends on how, how far into this process have we advanced because we're just talking about progesterone steel, which tends to be the most common one. The most common thing I would see on blood work is literally low progesterone and high cortisol. That's, that's really common. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see that on most of these women that don't have to, you know, don't have regular periods. That's probably like eight out of 10 of them. That's what it looks like. Now it can be, it can definitely be worse. There can be other things and I'll talk about that. But one of the things that happens too with this, with this cortisol spike or this stress is we have um, irregular thyroid function also. So that's, that's metabolic, right? Because thyroid, you know, deals with our metabolism. Mm -hmm. So what we basically have in the thyroid is it's also kind of a two pathway. It's kind of like a two part pathway in that. And, and all these processes are like unnecessarily complicated in the body. They could literally be way simpler, but they're not. <laughs> so in the thyroid and also like the endocrine system, we have a signaling pathway that kind of starts in the brain. We have a hypothalamus comes to the pituitary comes down, but what, What's really happening is it's a cycle. So when we get all the way down to the bottom, like the adrenal glands and there's or the thyroid and there's not enough of something, that will signal back up to the top and say, hey, we need to produce, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we need to produce these things. Mm. So what happens in the thyroid gland is we have, initially we come down, we have production of T4, okay? And this is after we get signaling from the top, from coming down, we have T4, converts to T3. T3 is our active thyroid hormone. That's what we need. Okay. Um, and if we don't have that, we'd obviously have low thyroid function. Now, what will tend to happen is our TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. That's what your body is signaling to. It's saying, uh Oh, we don't have enough T3. Let's signal to make more TSH. TSH tells the thyroid gland to make more T4, T4 converts to T3. Okay. Mm. It's too complicated. It, it doesn't need to be that complicated. I, I feel like your brain or your thyroid could just make T3 and we just call it a day. But <laughs> um, so the issue that we that happens here is we also have something called reverse T3. So this is where, yeah, which why why we have that, I don't know. But again, reverse T3 is it's basically inactive T3. So what would happen is that T4, instead of converting to T3, it converts to reverse T3, which doesn't do anything. It's a worthless hormone. Okay. So if we have a high reverse T3, then we have low regular T3 and we don't have a very healthy thyroid. Now, why would that happen? Well, there's nutrient deficiencies. So there's a lot of nutrient deficiencies that can cause <clears throat> that are required in this conversion process is that's not, I wouldn't say that's one of the more common reasons that this happens, but it can happen. I mean, our population eats healthier than your average person. Like we have more micronutrients in the diet. Like that's why in, you know, when I'm helping people with nutrition, I'm not just like chicken and rice. Like we use fruits, you know, we use vegetables. We try to use like a variety at least a variety in our diet. So we're not nutrient deficient. Right. Mm. Um, now the main reason that this happens is because we have high cortisol and we have high inflammation in our body. And 
this conversion from T4 to T3 doesn't happen. It goes over to reverse T3. So when we look at lab work, you can tell a body's stress. What you typically see is you'll see like low progesterone, high cortisol, high reverse T3, low T3. Like, oh man, that's like textbook stress right there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so, so your immediate goal on that is just find out how to reduce stress? Yeah, I mean, our immediate, like any of these problems, especially at a like low, a mild to moderate level, stress reduction is our main thing. If they're more advanced, so if they're more advanced and they've branched out into multiple systems, like we've had like a lot of dysfunction, we do, we are going to have to probably do other things. So if there's supplements and things that we're going to need to add support with, but, but now there's, you know, now we have this kind of phenomenon going on online where everyone's like a functional practitioner and everyone's talking about it and they're talking about all the supplements and things, but the problem is they're missing how, like they're missing the point in that if we don't reduce stress on these people, like it doesn't matter what supplements we take, you know, uh, and unfortunately reducing stress can sometimes mean training less, doing less cardio. These things freak people out. Like, Is Oh, it, we're yeah. only going to train. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. freak people out because, and we'll talk about this more in the site part, but a lot of these people end up this way because they are the more type A personality and they'll, you know, and they inevitably want to do more because they think more will give them more result. Right. So yeah, I tell, I tell the person that trains six days a week and does cardio seven days. And they've done that for the past five years. I'm like, Oh, we're going to train three days a week and you're not going to do cardio. And they're like, Whoa. <laughs> so what happens there? They get more stressed. Yeah. Cause now, yeah, we've eliminated activity, but now they're like just freaking out because they think they're going to blow up and be a fat blob because <laughs> they're not, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so it's a yeah, people, like I said, a lot of people are talking about this, but it is way, it is way more complex psychologically and bio, you know, and physiologically than just like, Oh, our, you know, our cortisol is high, so we're going to take a supplement to lower cortisol. I'm going to tell you right now that will not solve the entire problem if you ignore <laughs> if you ignore everything else. So that's why this process, you know, that's why these things can be uh, very complex. So you asked, so you're asking about physique, like how it would affect your body composition. So the thyroid part would be one of them, right? Obviously. Um, secondly water retention. I mean, like cosmetically, of course, when we have our cortisol levels and our stress levels also will affect our aldosterone levels, which in the kidneys, and that's, that basically determines our water balance in our body. So of course, bloating, you know, like it can be a water retention is a common one. Um, you can also have, you can also have like abdominal bloating because now this stress will affect our digestion, right? So all the mild, the mild issues, if we can catch, if we catch this stuff early, we can sometimes just address like the one system and we can just kind of, we're good. But a lot of the time, these people also have like gastrointestinal issues and, you know, all this stuff going on. 
Hmm. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So basically, ironically enough, uh, some of the problems that are caused by stress are, are exactly the opposite of the of the, the ends that we're trying to reach. So and, and it could be yeah. that training too hard could actually backfire because if you're causing too much stress, you might have to scale that back and uh, take a different approach. And so you mentioned nutrition a lot. How during these times, uh, can can you just rely on nutrition and continue is, is let me put it this way is it a legitimate approach to rely on the nutrition without scaling back the activity right away because i know for me working out is a big coping skill for me it's a big coping mechanism even though sometimes right. I, I know it causes physical stress i know that it can you know right. and, and that compounds with the everyday stress you talk about the traffic the work the kids so on and so forth um, but i hate to miss because um, that's where I get my release. That's where I, that's, it's right. my, my place of Zen. So for anybody right. who might be experiencing some of these metabolic difficulties, um, is it, is it a legitimate approach to try nutrition first and then see how that goes? See, see what kind of a positive effect you might get from there first. Uh, yeah, it's a, that is a great question. So we have to, we have to weigh the pros and cons here. And like I said, we have to weigh the psych side of things, because again, if I, if I pull out all your training or, or not all of it, but if I reduce the training to a point where it's causing you psychological distress, then it's, you know, it's, it's going to be not helping us. Right. So we definitely have to weigh the pros and cons. So it's nutritionally, most of these issues, we're not going to be able to solve them in a calorie deficit, trying to lose fat. We need to kind of like, forget that we've got to get that idea out of our head right off the bat. Okay. Uh, because that will compound all these issues because now we have a lack of caloric resources and these issues are always going to worsen when our body detects restriction, right? It's like, oh, you know, this person's not eating enough. So we're going to start shutting things down. And especially in women, this happens and, and in men, it happens too. I mean, we even have, uh, we even have like actual case studies on male, you know, these were male natural bodybuilders. So they weren't taking in any other hormones and we were seeing that they what was happening to them in terms of their cortisol levels their testosterone levels and all this stuff you know in a contest prep so in women you can take that and you can multiply it by at least double or more uh, so all these processes will be easier to solve if they're not eating in a calorie deficit so uh that's the first thing is just don't restrict food and notoriously most of these people are eating way too they're not eating enough anyhow right. yeah so it's that part we can do and again there's a whole nother there's a whole nother thing of like how much food can we introduce without them freaking out you know mm. so so nutritionally we if you want to feed them up or increase their food it may be a slow process depending on how uh, how willing they are to accept that. And I'll tell you some of these people that are, have really chronic issues that developed over a really long period of time, it takes a long time to fix, um, because we have to fix it. We have to get them to accept it. And we also have to maintain it. Mm. Right. So you don't take, you don't take 10 years of, uh, metabolic and hormonal adaption and fix them in a few months. And most of the people that have these issues, they're having a hard time losing weight anyhow, because, because their body is basically shutting down. Right. So they come to me and they're like, Hey, I think I, I think my metabolism is broken. 
but I want to lose weight. Can we fix this so I can lose weight in two months? I'm like, no, <laughs> probably not, <laughs> you know, or they, or they're a competitor and they want to, you know, do a contest and they're like, Hey, I've got a, I'm supposed to like, what's, what's uh, end of January now. So we'll say it's February. Like they come to me in February and they said, Hey, you know, I know that I'm having such and such issue. I've had blood work. They might even know that they have a problem, right? <laughs> but I need to start my prep in April for my show in July. And I'm like, well, you do realize that February to March and March to April, that's two months, said we're not going to be able to do any. Like two months doesn't hardly give us anything, right? <laughs> two months basically helps me it might take me two months to even get the whole routine established and get them completely on board with it and start and actually have their stress, like starting to come down and we're in a good routine with everything that doesn't even put a dent in some of these, some of these like multi-year type of issues that we have going on. If I had to throw out numbers, there's some real scary, these are numbers that would like scare some of these people, but some of these issues take a year two years in some cases to, hmm. to like fully fix them. Because uh, <clears throat> what, will, what will happen is, <clears throat> and this is something that, this is something that you probably won't see a lot of in like the, the medical community or research community because it's just not, a lot of the research that we have aren't on physique athletes that basically just beat the hell out of themselves for years. Like that's not, the populations that we have. Okay. My, like the easiest ones to fix are the people that have metabolic issues because they're basically sedentary or they have just basically maybe they haven't eaten. They've eaten like two meals a day for the last five years because they just are lazy and they just, you know, or busy or whatever, but they're not, they're not like working out and doing all that other stuff. Like these are my gen pop, right? I can fix those people easier than I can fix the competitors because these competitors have way more compounding, you know, stress over time. And what happens to the body is on a, on a <clears throat> call it like an epigenetic level. It's basically these adaptions are occurring because our body sees restriction, right? It's like it, it knows this. So now we diet one, they diet for contest. Number one, everything's pretty good. Contest number two, they do okay, but they notice they had to go a little bit harder than contest one, right? Contest three, they're like, or we won't even say contest. We'll say like year diet attempt number three, right? <laughs> they, they start seeing, well, this is not going very well. Like, why is this not working like the last two times? And I'm not talking about people that are just getting old, right? I'm talking about people that are doing this in like a short, you know, like short spans, few years or so. And and, the, and, and these are plenty of these people like in their 20s, like these aren't even old people, you know, like I'm not talking about, you know, women past menopause, you know what I mean? Uh, so they're, they're like, wow, this is not diet attempt number three really sucks, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to push through, right? Diet attempt four, nothing's happening. <laughs> they're like, well, I'm not eating anything and I'm not losing weight. And the reason that this happens is because our body gets smarter and smarter at a genetic level of turning these switches on and off. Right. So now it's like, Oh, ha, we, we got you figured out. It's like, we're not doing this again. And it's like, click. All right. So now, you know, now the, 
the adaptions that I was talking about, like the thyroid adaption and the adrenal gland adaption and all this, it's happening way faster, right? So that's why these things take so long to figure, to fix, because now, now not only do we have to fix them, but we have to basically convince the body that it's okay to let go of weight and body fat and things like that. And if we've basically been not convincing them for years, then it's going to take a while. So basically we have to fix the issue and we have to keep it fixed for a long period of time before the body's going to be ready to let go again. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. Have you, have you come across any competitors that have come to you and said, Hey, these are the issues I've had, but you know that they worked with someone else who said, yeah, we can definitely get you fixed in two months to go for that show. And then they come to you even worse than they probably were before. Oh yeah. All the time. Like a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and, it's not, and that's, this isn't a, this isn't like a, a plug for me or bash anyone else, but I just warn people that if they do have these issues, even if it's early stages and they're kind of figuring out that something's not quite right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, don't just keep searching for coaches until somebody finally says, yeah, it's cool. Like we'll take your money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So just get it. I always advise, just get it figured out. I, I tell you that if you can catch it early on and we can take, you know, we can take six, eight months off and, and not off, but six, eight months and figure something out. You'll be so happy when you go to do your next contest or try to lose body fat again, because it, it will work right. for one. Right. I'm, I'm telling you it, it will just keep digging a hole if you don't, you know, if you don't fix it. So, um, yeah, I mean, somebody's always going to take their money and, and help them. And, and yes, depending on how bad the issue is um, like a mild to moderate issue, you can blast through it by just basically not eating and just, you know, and just doing more. You eventually that's going to stop working or what will happen is they just look worse. Like they just, you know, their body composition looks bad because they lose a lot of muscle tissue, right? Their body starts dumping muscle. They don't lose as much body fat. So their stage weight or their ending weight for their, their diet looks the same or close, but they look way different. Right. I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking worse year to year in your contests. Right. So, or finding it, you know, exponentially more difficult to get in shape. And this stuff can be, uh, and a lot of that stuff's just like, just take enough time between those, you know, those periods of putting your body through that. It's not that, it's not that you can't ever do that. It's just that people just don't, they just don't take enough time in between, you know, or they, they do their show and they do good. And they like, Oh, I got my national qualification. I got to do nationals next. I'm like, well, like you just competed, you know, three months ago or whatever. And just taking enough time in between shows would, without doing anything fancy would eliminate or at least slow down uh, most of these, you know, most of these issues that people have, well, females don't need to compete every year. I mean, you think even it's even hard on guys. I mean, you think if you compete in a year, let's say a contest prep takes you, we'll just throw out like a middle number. It takes you 16 weeks. That's four months, right? Really? That means you only had eight months of off off season where you weren't, you know, in the first 
the first two months of off season, you were binging and eating and doing dumb shit the whole time. So it's like, really, you only had, you know, really you only had six months of like good structured and, and for a lot of people, it takes, you know, and I, I referenced that um, case studies on the male natural bodybuilders and they were showing, you know, they were showing like six months in that range before most of the parameters were pretty normal. That's a male. Okay. Right. So I gave you that eight month, like the four month contest prep and the eight month, you know, off season. So basically in that eight months, they are maybe close to normal and then they're right back into prep. So basically we're, you're just going to compound. You see what I mean? Like it's just going to compound and get worse mm -hmm. every single year. Um, and of course the more extreme your class. So if you're doing a women's physique versus bikini, it's probably going to be a little bit harder. Uh, and genetically, I talked about genetics. It does matter a lot. It definitely matters. I mean, if you're naturally someone that's pretty, you know, that's a little more on the heavy side, it's going to be hard on you. Like that's not what your body's not, you know, your set point is kind of soft and you're trying to get really hard. You know, it's going to be difficult. If I take the ectomorphic, like girl, that's pretty thin naturally, she might be able to compete every year if we do a really good, you know, post-show period and she's good at managing her stress and, you know, in her sleep and everything, she might be able to compete every year and be fine. Right. You know, person B that's always been kind of overweight and has those tendencies. She's not like, she's going to have a lot of, it's going to be really hard on her and she's going to end up having, I mean, I could tell you guys story after story of, some issues that got by the time I they, we got to me or got to someone else to help them, they had so many things wrong um, that they were experiencing all kinds of symptoms that you wouldn't even, that you'd be shocked to hear some of the stuff that, you know, they were experiencing. Hmm. Do you ever get a, a, a client, a case where their adrenals or their uh, thyroid is just, so fatigued that because you talk a lot about fixing, do you ever get past the point of return of no return rather? And, <coughs> and you, you have these, these chronic issues that you can't seem to, to uh, hardly work with. And how do you mitigate that if you do? Yeah. So I mentioned the two most common issues. I'll, I'll give you one other one. I don't want to leave out and I'm not, I'm not even able to mention all of them because there's a lot, but I'm giving you like the, probably the top three most common, which are really, so thyroid dis, you know, dysfunction, progesterone, and then also another one would be, I talked about in the adrenals that androgen side and the progesterone side. So on our androgen side, we can have dysfunction on that side also if your adrenal glands get beat up too bad. And what we can end up with there, two things really. We can end up with hyperandrogenism where your androgens are really high, okay? Because the adrenal gland is being over overly stimulated and it starts pumping out androgens, not just cortisol, right? It's like, it's confused. Essentially it starts pumping out too much on this DHEA side. So they can end up with, um, and you guys might be familiar with PCOS. So PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is, that's how it's, that's how medically it's classified, which would literally mean you have a cyst on your ovaries and it causes your ovary to dysfunction and throw out all kinds of weird hormones, right? Gotcha. Okay. 
But what we really see a lot in females is we see adrenal PCOS or or hyperandrogenism, where it's not like a, it's not a cyst, but it's giving you similar symptoms because these androgens are up. So, man, now think of what happens to a woman. Okay, give you an example. So, what happens to women that take too many androgens? Right, they get hair growth, mm-hmm. they get acne. They get all these things. So this can literally happen to these girls with hyperandrogenism, right? Okay. So now they're having, now they're having like some really crazy stuff going on because their androgens are really high, which of course that also disrupts their cycle. Okay. So that, that's one thing that can happen on that side of the pathway. Now, as in uh, you reference, like what happens when they're really bottomed out? So some of these women will, they won't, this manifests in a lot of ways. I think you're kind of seeing that as like not every woman, like you can't expose two women to the same thing and the same outcome. So some of these women, what you'll actually see is I'll, I'll look at their hormones and they're just like everything. Okay. They don't have, they don't even have high cortisol. They don't have high androgens. Like we're talking like and they don't have estrogen dominance. That's a common one with women that their estrogen gets really high and their progesterone gets really low, right? They don't have any of this. They have low estrogen, low progesterone, low testosterone, low adrenal function. They're just like, you know, dead, right? And that's because we will eventually get to a point where they're just crashed. Everything's crashed. You know, they their adrenal glands can't pump out any cortisol, their whole endocrine system, including ovarian function, it's all just shut down because everything's been overtaxed. And basically their body is in like extreme, um, we could call it like extreme reserve, reserve, like gas, you know, gas tank goes in reserve mode. So it's, we just don't have any resources left. And yeah, you will, uh, you do end up with cases that, inevitably may need hormone replacement, right? Mm-hmm. They may need like exogenous hormone replacement. Um, it's not, I, I, I don't, I want to say that that never happens because it does. Like some of these people, you can do your best and do all the things right and take a lot of time, like years, you know, and they just never come back. You know, they just don't, they just don't bounce back. Um, <clears throat> and I think that the older they are, the more that tends to happen because they're already, it's like, basically inducing a premature menopausal state, right? Because in menopause, you know, women's hormones, they drop. It's essentially what you're seeing is just lack of hormone production. So they, they might end up in that state. It does happen. I mean, I have, I I do have clients on hormone replacement uh, that were, a lot of them were already on it when we started or they, or it was like somebody that we just couldn't get them to come back. Or if they are like already, you know, 40 years old and they basically, or late thirties and they basically induce this like premature state of menopause. Right. <clears throat> so yeah, it does happen. Same with thyroid, uh, thyroid, thyroid is a lot of the time we can fix the thyroid without needing meds. Sometimes you will end up with, especially when we're talking autoimmune disorders. Now, if you guys have heard of autoimmune disorders, your most common one is Hashimoto's, which causes low thyroid function. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> now, most of these have a gut component. These people have wrecked. Their gut is wrecked. A lot of inflammation, right? So 
what happens in the gut when we talk about hormones is the liver especially is responsible for metabolizing these hormones and excreting some of these things out in the urine okay so if you've ever watched me on facebook like if i post those dutch tests that have you know like all of the weird stuff going on mm -hmm. so those are those are urine tests they're not actually blood they're urine because the reason that we look at that is because we want to see how is the body metabolizing hormones and getting rid of them into the urine. We can't see that in the blood because all we see in the blood is just what, you know, what's present in the blood. Right. Right. So a lot of people with gut issues and a lot of stress and high inflammation in their body, they don't metabolize hormones very well. Okay. So we always have to look at the gut and you know, this isn't a gut hormone. This is like a gut health podcast, but we always have to look at the gut when we're, when we're looking at these issues, um, because they do inevitably <clears throat> have a large gut component and it's not even always like related to their nutrition. It can just be stress because the nervous system is tied into the gut. You know, if you've heard of like the gut brain access, mm -hmm. it's a nervous system thing. We have a nerve that basically sends signals. It tells the gut to contract and move food through. So if we have, if we have high stress, it's a good, there's a good chance that we have a gut problem. So, you know, when we talk about thought, like I said, thyroid, especially and estrogen, because the liver does metabolize a lot of the estrogen and thyroid, if we end up with really high inflammation in the gut, what happens is inflammation can basically get through the gut barrier, leaky gut, that's leaky gut. Even though leaky gut isn't a real medical term, it's not a recognized <laughs> diagnosis. Adrenal fatigue is not a rec not a real recognized diagnosis either, but that's kind of like a different conversation. But um, with leaky gut, we have some leaking into the blood. So now all of this inflammation and toxins and all this stuff that's not supposed to be in the blood is going systemic all over their body, right? So it's hitting or like now our thyroid glands affected. We might have other organs or tissues that are affected by it. Okay. So if you have an autoimmune, anyone that has an autoimmune disease, they have, they have inflammation. They have inflammation. That's very, very high. They probably have a gut issue. Okay. So some of these Hashimoto's cases, if you can get them that they're not too far advanced, you can fix the gut and lower inflammation which also is stress, okay? So we, there's always a stress component. Then we can fix them. Um, the problem with autoimmune issues, is you've seen, if you've ever, if you see like really extreme autoimmune issues, so one would be uh, like celiacs and gluten, you know, gluten. Mm -hmm. Dude, they can, if they're advanced, like they can wreck organs, they can attack tissues all over your body. They can cause... I'll give you a really crazy example. I had no idea. So do you guys know, you guys know who Kid Rock is, mm -hmm. right? So do you remember way back, he had the little, the guy that was little midget guy. Mm -hmm, yeah. Is midget, I don't, is midget a proper? <laughs> I don't think so. But he, he, was, he was a little person. I think is what we, what we say now. But yeah. Yeah. No, he's a little person. Uh -huh. Okay. So he actually had celiac. Okay. He died of celiac. Really? Really? Wow. I'm almost positive. And someone listening might know better than me because I know you guys like music and stuff too. Yeah. But um, I'm almost positive. So he, if you listen to some of the songs, he would talk about how he took so many pills in a day. That was medication hmm. because he had celiac. Wow. Okay. 
So celiac, basically these antibodies, your body creates these antibodies to attack, right? So he had such hot, such bad celiac that it basically had attacked all these tissues in his body and he eventually died from it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what his official cause of death was. Like, I'm sure there was like, he probably had like a heart attack or like something, you know, it probably affected some organ in his body or something or his kidneys or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, um, that, that was, but yeah, that was years ago too, but before celiacs was really a, you know, a name or a word you even heard. Yeah. A lot more common now. Yeah. So what you, so really kind of the point of that is they, and I don't know, and I, I don't want to speculate improperly, but probably what happened is he had all these, these symptoms and they were probably giving him medications for like all these symptoms. Right. And not so much like addressing his gut or any of that other stuff, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, if you have a really severe Hashimoto's, it can, it will attack your thyroid gland to where your thyroid gland, even if you fix the gut and fix the inflammation, your thyroid gland is so damaged that they can't, you can't get it to work anymore. Okay. So you end up on medication or if it's bad enough, they remove the thyroid gland completely surgically. And then you just take medication because you, you know, your thyroid gland can't produce any hormones. Right. So you have to take, you, you know, you, you orally take the hormones. Does that make sense? Yep. So what, what's the, the starting point for fixing a gut or is it depend on what the symptoms somebody has? Oh yeah, man. Did I just start a whole so, other podcast? <laughs> I think so. We might, we might, yeah. yeah, we might, we might be able to, we might be able to do another one. Um, yeah, gut stress, man, we got to go back to stress. We have to go back to stress because, uh, and I actually taught, and I'm going to plug, can I plug myself? Absolutely. That? All yeah, day long. Okay. I have a gut class coming up and I don't even know if this podcast will be out by the time it's up, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold it again later because I'll hold it like periodically. But one of the things we talk about in the gut class is how some of like the more advanced practitioners the more that are looking at some of the new research, they've actually started categorizing um, disorders like IBS as a neurological disorder. Hmm. Wow. Huh. You, see what I, you see where I'm going? You see where sure. I'm going with this? Yeah. So, you know, they're like, they're like, oh, this is actually a neurological disorder. These people that have, you know, these people that have uh, IBS, they were finding that something crazy, like 70% of them had clinical psych psychiatric issue like and i'm not saying that they were like schizophrenic or something <laughs> probably right? a lot of anxiety yeah a lot of anxiety right. i'm sure mm -hmm. right so if you were to take them in and and have the clinical evaluation they had clinical anxiety clinical depression you know like whatever right mm -hmm. so so it's like man we have to fix we have to fix stress always um and then a lot of the time we have to look at, well, what is the damage? You know, if it's a dietary thing, obviously we can, we can fix it. But a lot of the time, like food intolerances and things like that. Yeah, we have, we might have them, but if we, if we lower inflammation and fix stress and stuff, you're able to tolerate all those foods that you couldn't eat before. Anyhow, within reason, like, you know, nobody probably tolerates eating pizza three times a day. Like that just isn't right. You know what I mean? Right. That's just not really what we're equipped to do. But a lot of our people aren't eating bad. They're not like eating that stuff all day long anyhow, you know. 
Um, there are there are some like your crazy IIYFM crowd that if they're like trying to just fit as many donuts into their plan as they can, they might have, they might have a problem, but, <laughs> but you know, like the vast majority of them, that's not really it. You know, we have to really look at stress. Then we have to fix the gut lining. We have to repair the gut lining. Um, so if you guys want to check out the class, like my page and stuff, I'll, I talk about all that stuff. Like how do we repair the gut lining? How do we, um, address different types of issues within the gut. Um, but yeah, a lot of your, a lot of your autoimmune people, they have, they have gut issues. So mm. a lot of your thyroid people, they have gut issues. Um, a lot of your hormone issue, you know, a lot of your like severe hormone cases, they have gut issues, but I guess a good takeaway is chicken or the egg, like which, what caused what? Mm -hmm. most cases we if we if we start tracing back and i look at like their whole history of things like i'll start asking like well you know what what did they do when in their 20s or did they play sports or did they you know do like a a sport that was restrictive like they ran cross country you know they were like really active where they like wrestler right they were wrestler right they didn't they restricted food and and all these things or or they've or they have a history of like, I'm not just looking at their competition last year. I'm like, I'm looking at the like 20 diet attempts that they had in the last, you know, six years, like they attempted to lose weight that many times or whatever. And then we start figuring out, okay, when, if we look way back, you didn't have gut issues here. Your right. gut issues started midway because of all of the stress. Right. So Yes, we have to address the gut, but we have to always look back and figure out like what started it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I guess looking, looking for a way to kind of just frame all this, um, it all comes <laughs> back lot. to, it, 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 it is, it, it is, but it is a lot of great information in there to dissect because like you said earlier, everybody's body is different, you know? And of course you have major differences between the male body and the female body. And, and your hormone regulation, I think, is one of the, the big differences that you've illuminated today is, is the, maybe some of the different uh, hormonal dysfunctions that, that might be particular to the female uh, body, and it's going to affect her physique. Um, but either way, across the board, stress, right? Stress is a, a main indication of any kind of dysfunction that, you're, that we're talking about today, and that's, that's huge. Uh, because stress is such a pervasive part of most people's lives, I know. And, and so oh, yeah, especially sure. when we're adding things like just, just working out and, and, and putting that physical stress on our bodies. But you, you compound that with competition and things of that nature. And, and just the our, our cultural, like, ideal physique, right? There, there's, pre oh, yeah. there's pressure there. And, and when oh, yeah. when someone doesn't have that, and you know, I, I'd probably step out on a limb here to say that's probably more difficult for females in our society than it is for males because of the expectations, right? I think that's sure. probably a fair statement. Um, sure. An unfair system, but a fair statement to, to say. Um, so yeah, yeah. Th there's that, that more stress, that more compounding pressure that's on them. So if you could, Austin, just kind of frame all of this for us. What, what can ladies do? in order to mitigate any of these, these factors, um, how can, if someone is not experiencing any kind of dysfunction, dysregulation in their body, what's the best practice for them to, to, to maintain good health? And for someone who is experiencing some of these things, um, what's the best way to kind of get them on track? And if you can just kind of sew this up for us and, and put a nice pretty bow on it. 
Sure. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So um, tracing back, I think that's a good thing. If mm-hmm. you're having issues or you're having symptoms, or even if they're mild, like, uh, you know, period irregulation, you know, irregularities, it's not like you're not, not having a period, but maybe it's become uh, different, mm-hmm. you know, time, like women, women know these, you know, women keep track of these things. They have, they know when their periods are, they know what they're like, right? They've have been having them for however many years they know what they're like, excuse me, but uh, trace back, look at your history. You have to be, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest. <clears throat> if you can't, if you can't be objective, you, you need help from somebody, you know, you need to, whether it's me or somebody else, like, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, consultations that aren't coaching, you know what I mean? So they mm-hmm. aren't you know, like looking at these issues. Now, inevitably, if it is, if it is a bigger issue, we, it, it, I can't just he- tell you what to do in one consultation and going to tell you like, here's your next year mapped out. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, you, you need to retrace your steps. Um, doing the right lab work is important. Um, <clears throat> so for women, if I'm just giving you like a, a real easy one, um, life extension is a good company. If you want to order your own labs, they have the, and I know a lot of coaches, I know some other coaches in that I like speak with at seminars and stuff. We, there's a good panel on life extension, their weight loss. I think it's their weight loss comprehensive panel. It will measure and lab work a lot of the time, right? We're going in the morning or fasted, right? That's kind of like how we measure so it'll measure your cortisol, your progesterone, your testosterone, your estrogen. So if we're if they want to do the blood work route and they maybe are having some resistance from their doctor or their doctor just wants to like put them on birth control or whatever, you know, like the whole like medical thing, that's like a whole different topic in and of itself. But they can order their own. Um, it actually tells you right on there how to do it around your menstrual cycle, like when to take, like what days of the month. And, and it even tells you if you don't have a regular menstrual cycle, how you should measure it. Mm, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's important. You can do that. If you have no idea how to read it, get a hold of somebody like myself and like, I, I can help you look at it and tell you, you know, what's up, ask questions, like look back um, for more advanced cases especially, especially people that have, um, a lot of things going on, like a lot of symptoms, we might go towards that Dutch test, which is a urine test. You can also, your doctor can order that, right. They can order it. You can get, you know, if, if you're like an insurance thing, if that's like a kid, you know, if that's a concern, um, I'm going to tell you right off the bat that most of them will have no idea what it even is. If you go in and ask them, so that's up to that's up to you if you want to ask. You might be able to find like an endocrinologist that might know, or like a uh, like naturopathic type doctor that might know. But you can go on DutchTest.com. You can order the Dutch. The Dutch Complete is the one that we use the most. There are like a couple other ones that have like piece pieces and parts of all of them. But if you just get the Complete, that has pretty much everything on it. Uh, you can order the kit. You can do it at home. You, you literally, it looks like, it looks like a parchment paper, like the cooking type stuff that you might use. Mm-hmm. You literally pee on it. It dries. You put it all, you, you do like four samples. Usually it's four samples. You put it in an envelope, you send it in and 
they give you results. Uh, it tells you, you know, what times of day to do. It tells you like, you know, around how your menstrual cycle, like when you should take it, like it's all there. You know what I mean? They make it, it's, it's laid out and the instructions are really, really nice for those tests. Uh, it's people, you know, it is, it is going to be, depending on if you can't get insurance, it's going to be like 300 and some dollars, but I'm telling you what it reads out. It reads out more information than you will ever pry out of your doctor in a million and a half years. And, and it's going to take you like 47 copays from your doctor <laughs> to, to even get close to what you're going to see on that test. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So like, I know I, I understand like costs and stuff. And I even tell people on consults sometimes or coaching, I'm like, well, this is a complex issue. Like, you know, coaching is cost this much money. Right. And then I'm going to say, we're going to need this because you have a lot of symptoms. And like, I can tell you, like, we're talking about the common stuff on the podcast. Right. But I can't see everything. Like I'm going to need some data. Right. So I'm going to say, it's going to cost this much. And say, if you can't even afford to do it right now, I said, let's wait till next month, you know, or the month after let's put a little bit aside on each paycheck. Cause I want you to be able to do this test right up front so we can get started and do things right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or it might be a case where we can do, we can like do all the stress and the gut stuff right off the bat. Right. And then we can do the testing. Right. But again, like I said, you need to figure out, you need to figure out and trace back. If you have gut issues, if you have hormone issues, what started first, right? You know, we need to figure out and we need to address that. Um, you can't just go take some probiotics and some digestive enzymes and like voila you know like that you know it's not going to work um and i said stress stress is an awareness thing we'll talk about this you know we talk about psych and stuff it's 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 so much just an awareness thing like you just don't know how stressed you are until you start objectively if journaling or like writing it down or just figuring it out like or having somebody maybe it's myself or like a psychologist or somebody like, yo, you've got 93, seven or, you know, 93 freaking tally marks on your day of stress, right? Like that you didn't even realize was there. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, I guess those are probably the things to know, like in terms of those are a couple good tests that you can, that you can do. Um, I have a, you know, I have a YouTube channel, that has like, it's a million different videos on it talking about adrenal insufficiency. It talks about, you know, metabolic adaption. It talks about like gut. It, I mean, like it's all there. I've got classes. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a ton of resources like that. I think that's, I, I think it's kind of my point. So if you can't figure it out, reach out to somebody. Um, it is, again, it is sometimes an investment, but it's something that you have to live with your entire life because if you don't address these things, they get more difficult as you get older. You have the natural aging process, which is menopause in women, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm telling you, like, you, you can end up in a really, really bad position a couple years down the line if you don't, like, you know, if you don't take it seriously and, and get things fixed. Nice. Right. 
Good stuff, man. I know I've learned a lot. I'm going to have to listen to the episode a couple of times <laughs> in order to catch up with all the information. But I know that, you know, what, what I think is going to happen is if there's any ladies out there who are having any kind of issues, they're listening to this show, they're going to connect with, with some of these topics, some of these points that you bring up. And then it's going to get the ball rolling for them to, to maybe do some investigating and have a little bit more insight into what's going on, why they're having trouble uh, reaching their, their goals, their physical goals, or why they're having issues with anything from their cycles to, you know, obviously the stress is, is the biggest deal here that we're talking about. And uh, looking forward to our, our psych episode, but man, it, just stress. I mean, we could we could do a yeah. podcast just on stress and all the different factors and mitigating factors and things like that. So it's been a lot of fun, man. Uh, this is just the first of our of our at least our three part series. If, if it doesn't, if we don't start you know, getting more topics lined out, I mean, it sounds like we got a couple more already. So, <laughs> if we're going to be able to slow to this train or not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was literally like your that was literally like your uh, basic generic introduction to the topic, and then like some takeaway points. Yeah. I mean, you could literally take you could take. you know, its own like course, if you will, if you really wanted to. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So, but I don't know if I, but Hey, I would be honest. Like I got a business to run. I can't, give, I can't give you all everything for free. Uh-huh. <laughs> so We're going to have to pay him to podcast with yeah. us. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, like, <laughs> you guys got to reach out. If you have a problem, I'll help. You got it, man. Teaser, teasers only, but that's what podcasts are good for, man. Just to kind of highlight the, the main points. Austin, thanks again, man. We're going to close this one down, and we're going to see you soon for part two of our, of our series, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right. Wow. Thanks again to Austin Stout, and thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth feels like a well-balanced cortisol release for us, so don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love so much to keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Also, on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, it would help us immensely if you would give us a five-star rating while you're there to show your love for the CEP. And speaking of love, you know we love it when you give us all of your love on the socials. So do give us your love on the socials and be sure to visit the all new and improved launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, pick up all of your official CEP network merch at bijack.com slash CEP and, you know, get some gear for you and, and the fam and the friends, you know, they'll love it. And so that's all I got for this time. So be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours warm out there. See ya.